Through the written word and the spoken word, may we come to know your living word, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So brace yourself. Everything does not happen for a reason. I'm really not sure of the origin of that phrase. I did a little search, but I really couldn't come up with anything concrete of the phrase, everything happens for a reason. But we Americans really love it. We've internalized it. It shapes our thoughts. It molds our beliefs about God. It molds our beliefs about one another and how we travel through life how we handle grief and tragedy. And the problem with it is that people often attribute the reason to God's divine intervention in our lives. I had a visit with a person in the hospital a few years ago who had transitioned to palliative care with a terminal cancer diagnosis. And in the course of our very lovely conversation, she said to me, I know that God has given me this cancer so I can learn a lesson. But here I am, lying here dying, tied to all these tubes and with needles everywhere. And I can't for the life of me figure out the lesson. I was heartbroken for her. Now, I want to tell you that it's not our job to go in and fix people's bad theology while they're dying. So I did not try to do that. Try. It was hard, but I did not. But I was heartbroken for her because she was both suffering and she really believed this. She really believed that she had been afflicted and was really miserable because she needed to learn something that could apparently only be learned through dying. What a terrible way to experience an already terrible situation was sort of the soundtrack playing in my head as we talked. As we prayed together that day, I tried to offer some words of comfort to her, but what I was thinking about was that the heart of what she was saying is that God had done this to her. God had given her cancer. God was causing her suffering. God was a teacher inflicting pain upon her as if it was the only way she could ever learn anything. And what struck me most, besides obviously the fact that I did not agree, was that she really felt helpless, without any control or agency over an already kind of out of control situation. Her helplessness, though, was not really coming from her grief or her pain. It was coming out of her perception that her life was coming to a difficult end full of suffering, and her only straw was to try to learn that lesson before it was too late. Her words may ring true to you in some way, because the reality is that she was just trying to make sense of something that frankly didn't make sense. We, even us enlightened and cerebral Episcopalians, we are impacted and influenced by this same belief, that this is not something we can do anything about, but it'll be better later. It'll be better after we finish this miserable existence. It's what drives our desire for growing our material wealth and our status. It's at the heart of the inner dialogue we have 
sometimes as we seek to deepen our knowledge and relationship with God because we aren't doing enough, we aren't good enough, and we aren't only as good as the last terrible, dumb, humiliating thing that we did. If only we were better people. If only I was a more devout Christian and prayed harder. If only I was willing to give more of my stuff away, more of my power away. Then, then I would be one of those who does not suffer or grieve or want. Today's scriptures we read today have kind of a common theme. They address this human condition of feeling like life is out of our control. Abram shares with God his desire for a child. The psalmist shares their concern about unknown attacks from the enemies. Paul writes a loving letter to his friends in Philippi to hold strong even as their sense of safety is threatened because they follow Jesus. And we have multiple examples of Jesus' life being threatened throughout his ministry, and today the threat comes directly from Herod himself. In each of these examples, there is an ever-present threat. There is uncertainty about personal safety, community safety. And those contexts, contexts spread out over history, over time, over location, Maybe you can relate to it, because the world just kind of doesn't feel safe right now. Ukrainians are the most visible example in our constant news cycle. And even though St. Paul's Cathedral is 5,726 miles from Kiev, the reverberations from the violence there can't help but leak into our own feelings of safety and security. And right here in our community, there are real and visible examples of people who have to choose between buying gas to get to and from work or paying their ever-increasing rent or other bills or buying food. Then there's legislated threats that are happening all around us, threats to the safety and security of LGBTQ youth and their families, Threats to the reproductive decisions that women should be allowed to make with their physicians and their families. Heck, even access to library books are under threat. The hits just keep coming, and the cumulative effect of all of this adds to our feelings of feeling overwhelmed, under-equipped, helpless, out of control. But the theme in our scripture is more than just about the human condition of threat and anguish from it. Because as people of faith, we are grounded in something greater than outside threats and feelings of doom and despair. We are grounded in the God who assures Abram of his destiny as a father. We are grounded in the God that the psalmist knows is with them in the time of trials, and that that knowing gives them strength for whatever they have to come. Paul reminds his friends that their heavenly citizenship is there, and while they experience the human condition, that citizenship gives them the ability to stand firm. And Jesus, in today's Gospel of Luke, takes a courageous stand against the power that threatens to destroy him. Herod, you fox. 
while he gathers God's people as a hen gathers her chicks, giving sanctuary in the midst of the tempest, but not stopping the tempest. We live in both worlds. The one where God makes all things new, while at the same time we live in the world where people seek destruction and power like a drug. But hear this, being citizens of heaven does not mean we can be sloppy or neglectful with our earthly citizenship. That would mean that we view the world only through the lens of the human condition rather than with the eyes of Christ. Earth and heaven aren't intended to be separated, but we separate them. We do that through our thoughts, through our judgments, through our fear, through the way we assume a defensive posture. We're all gathered here today in worship, and even me, probably you too a little, We'll go about the rest of our week with this hour or so of renewal of commitment slipping from our minds. It's like coming to a well for water and then forgetting to drink it while we, draw, while we walk away. You have been invited, we have been invited to keep a holy Lent. To spend this season in thoughtful and reflective and intentional preparation. We are invited, though, to bring our whole selves to that. Our broken hearts as well. Our hopes and our expectations with us. Bringing with us our dreams for a world the way that God intends it to look. We bring all of that with us. Dr. Catherine Meeks is the executive director of the Absalom Jones Center for Racial Healing in Atlanta, and she writes a blog that I commend to you called A Few Shades Braver. This week's blog talked about brokenheartedness, a righteous state of being, she says, that allows us not to avoid pain and suffering, not to ignore it, not to numb it, but to have our broken heart free us to imagine something better, to say yes to the invitation to step out of our relative safety and security, to create space that holds our pain, the pain of our own hearts and the pain of the world around us. Because she says it's only through that that we can imagine a birth of new possibilities for everyday life. She says, the world is eagerly awaiting those with the courage to be brokenhearted, not because we believe in a God that causes things to happen to us in order to teach us a lesson that we wouldn't be able to learn otherwise, but because it is out of our grounding in our citizenship of God and of the world that then we can join with God to renew creation. We may not, heck, we definitely aren't going to understand why some things happen. But we can be assured God is with us. And how we choose to feel it, how we choose to experience the human condition, says more about our faith than nearly anything else that we do. Because we are equipped to serve God. And Lent is our time to share, shore up our resources 
for the work that God has given us to do. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth 